Welcome in Rose City to another edition of the Soccer Made in Portland podcast. Uh, here with Chris Reifer, I'm Ryan Clark on this beautiful July morning here in Rip City slash Rose City slash Rose City till I die slash whatever you may want to call the city we call home. Um, Chris, how are we doing today and, and uh, what, are, what are your feelings, I guess, after this this weekend? Uh, great. With the with the Rip City cold open there, uh, should we shout out the Portland Trail Blazers 2022 Summer League champions? Yes. Uh, it's, a, it's a very Trail Blazers-y thing uh, to, to, like, you know, have a Summer League championship and tongue-in-cheek to celebrate it. Yeah, um, I was I was waiting for the parade down Broadway, man. I don't really know what uh, what happened there. It just kind of... Right didn't happen but uh yeah get Jabari Walker the... up there on the on on you know uh like a flatbed thing and and go down Broadway listen big I, rally I, at Pioneer Square I know that this is a soccer podcast but god I love that kid's game man <laughs> he is so good uh he is just like a, a constant rebounder effort guy um really nice shooting stroke uh really excellent playmaker I mean I just I could go on and on about that, dude. I, I, if he doesn't crack the rotation for the Blazers this year, uh, something's wrong there. So I agree. Um, However, I have the trauma in my past of watching Jared Bayless t- uh, tear up su- summer league. So, <laughs> uh, so I, I, I'm gonna keep the 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 takes lukewarm on that one. <laughs> Blazer legend Jared Bayless. Yeah, um, Blazer legend Jared Bayless. So. Moving on to to the soccer aspect. Oh right, uh, yeah, that, that is kind of part of what's our, what's what the name of the podcast again? Soccer made in Portland, right, not right. uh, not Jabari Walker's made in Portland, not basketball made in Portland. <laughs> uh, we'll leave the Blazers discussion to Craig Burnback and uh, and Aaron Fentress uh, on their podcast. Uh, listen to to that uh, on OregonLive.com as well. Did, did you just not your job me? A little bit, yeah. Okay. I mean, to be clear, I don't have, like, you know, a relevant job anyway. <laughs> you, just, you totally just not your job me. I kind of not my job myself. A that's true. Bit too, it so was a collective not your jobbing. Yeah, that was that was, uh, that was was part of the transition there. But um, the, the, so the Thorns, <laughs> the, the Portland Thorns uh, pulled off a 5-0 victory over Gotham FC on Saturday. Um, really a strong way to finish off uh, this stretch without the international players uh, that are out due to international duty with Canada, with the United States, with uh, Costa Rica, with others uh, that, that they're out playing for really excellent uh, performance all around. I mean, we're talking about a, a group that was essentially all role players and substitutes because all of the key contributors, the best players on this team save for, uh, somebody like Hina Sukuda, who who is one of the key contributors, they were all out. They weren't there, and uh, yet this team put in a dominant performance, just completely waxing Gotham in that game, showcasing their superiority at essentially every position. I mean, you got 16-year-old Olivia Moultrie hitting worldies from way out and and nailing them bangers with ease. Only. Bangers only for uh, for the Thorns in that game. Um, it, it was really a tremendous performance all around. They defended well. They um, were crisp in, in their passes and, and connecting play in the midfield. And uh, they finished better than I've, I've seen them finish in terms of efficiency uh, really at any point in this season. And, and this, again, is without all of your best players. You know, so that I believe is a real credit to Rian Wilkinson and, and the culture that she has instilled with this team. Um, and, and if the Portland Thorns end up winning it all in NWSL this year, I think that coaches, fans, players and, and reporters will look back on this stretch of the season and point to it as one of the key reasons why they were able to. Uh, it bolstered the experience for the the depth players and it showcased why even if there were to be a few serious injuries down the stretch for this team uh and it it lost a a key contributor or or one was uh out for a short period they'd still be okay they'd still be one of the better sides in nwsl Uh, they've got more goals than anybody this season by a pretty significant margin uh and a great deal of those were scored with 
uh, their top goal scorers out on, on international duty. So uh, very little in the way of criticism for, for the Thorns at this point. They um, are playing the best soccer in NWSL right now, and I fully anticipate that once the uh, top contributors come back in, in the coming weeks, uh, they're going to continue that momentum and, and have a real shot at getting uh, themselves at the top of the table uh, by the end of the season. This, I, look, I mean, I, I feel like I have stand Rean Wilkinson a decent amount on this podcast uh, and and the, uh, the job that she has done with the team over the course of the year uh, in, in what is one of the club's favorite phrases, I think probably a transition year. Um, and it hasn't looked at all like a transition year. The, the growing pains have been pretty brief and intermittent. Um, and instead it's just been growth, uh, growth a lot of times without pain or growth while inflicting pain on others, uh, as, as was the case, uh, the case here. Look, I was really concerned about this game, uh, especially losing Sam coffee. Uh, I thought that was going to be the straw that broke the thorns stem or like whatever. Um, and, uh, and so I was concerned coming in that it was just going to be too much. The Thorns had, had, uh, over twice as many, uh, ab- international absences as, uh, as Gotham did. Uh, I, I mean, I, I just thought it was going to be too much, uh, and, and that this was going to be a tough one. Three zero, eleven 11 minutes in, boy, was I wrong about that. <laughs> that I mean, they, they crushed, they, they, they just rolled. I mean, that's a, that's a, that's. You know, I mean, use whatever uh, whatever cliche you want to. Uh, that's a whooping, and it was yeah. a whooping from kick k- kickoff. Like there, there's yeah, no and question that's a league it. record, by the way. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that, for for them, and and I believe it was ten minutes and just under fifteen seconds to to reach three goals. That's the fastest in NWSL history, breaking the Thorns' own record that they set last season uh, against the Chicago Red Stars, which was about twelve minutes. And that's done without Sophia Smith. That's done without Christine Sinclair. That's done. I mean, you can go down the list. That's unbelievable. Uh, and, and you know, I don't think, yeah, I, I mean, look, I as I said, I've been a stan uh, of what Rain Wilkinson has done, done for this team so far this year. I didn't think that was going to be even within the realm of possibilities. I, I thought if the Thorns got the result here, it was going to be kind of a grind out, ugly affair find a goal somewhere but but you know sort of lacking the horsepower to to consistently generate chances plenty of horsepower still left apparently um and that is an enormous credit to to the players who who have stepped up throughout this entire window i mean when you sort of zoom out at the window as a whole two away games one home game two games against at least playoff truly truly playoff competitive teams uh, i think it that's a uh, uh, conservative characterization of the rain in Angel City, um, and two draws and a win. That's I mean that's amazing. That's great. Uh, and the win being five zero with I think they were up to eight missing starters, or you know, or, or yeah, at, at least often frequent starters. I, I mean, my goodness, what a performance! Um. What a coaching performance to have uh, their depth that well engaged that they can step in and be a next player up kind of operation. A lot of coaches talk about that. You can count on one hand the number of coaches who are actually able to do it. Uh, And, you know, I mean, just across the board, uh, tremendous performances. you know, I was thinking this morning uh, on uh, as we were getting ready and and on my 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 traditional pre-show dog walk. Just to be clear, it's a morning dog walk. It's not like a that's not like a special tradition for the show. Um, it's not it's not like Jerry's like, hey, we got to get dialed in. Let's go. Um, but friend of the uh, pod, Jerry, yeah, friend of the pod, Jerry. Uh, <laughs> also, uh, occasional you know guest. Um, but uh. You know, I, I was thinking sort of who on the team do I think has has raised their stock most during this period? Who who sort of has, has stepped up the most? And I was like, I could probably drop four really strong candidates for that. I think Madison Pogarch 
is a good candidate. I think Yasmin Ryan is a good candidate. I think Hannah Bedford's a good candidate. Uh, I think Olivia Moultrie uh, is a really good candidate. Um, I mean, my goodness. <laughs> I, I, you know, and, and, and that sort of, I think, drives home the point, though, which is that this is not just a matter of one player catching fire. fire. Morgan Weaver has been good. Uh, you know, a goal and a dime uh, in the, in this last one. No, nothing to shake a stick at. But it's not like it's just been a matter of of Morgan Weaver or Hina Sugida, uh, who are, you know, sort of two of the Thorns' most, you know, reliable holdovers or, or Megan Klingenberg just kind of going crazy. It's not like those players have had to carry the entire team. It's not like Hina has had to throw the team on her back and sort of tr- and sort of trudge through these three games. It has been complete performances across the 11, basically every time out where they have been at least solid and better every single game. Oh. Right, right. You you watch this team and, and you don't see anybody that you're like, oh, wow, they, they're a glaring problem. You know, everybody is at the very minimum uh, a solid contributor and better. You know, right. it, it, this this group... Um, even with with a swath of substitutes out there, is still so solid. And there are not a lot of teams, there might not be another team in NWSL that you could say that about, where you look at their 11, even with all the players missing that Portland had, and you don't see somebody who uh, is a net negative. I, I think everybody is, is a net neutral or positive, even in that group. And then when you bring everybody back, it's it's a, a team that is essentially stacked and and your depth is something that you don't have to worry about if somebody gets a red card uh or rather gets card accumulation um or is suspended for another reason or is injured um you, you don't have to worry about whoever's going to step in because at essentially every position you've got somebody waiting on the bench that has proven themselves capable in this stretch uh eight straight games undefeated for the thorns three of those uh the ones that you mentioned were were without those players uh two draws against two solid teams uh and on the road on the road and then uh this this truly convincing victory um you know rotating those players back in is going to be a process it's not going to just be a you know everybody's back therefore they're all going to start and play 80 minutes you know it's it's um going to be a mix of players for a few games and that really isn't going to be in much of a detriment to to the thorn success I, I think that um, there are some players who have earned the opportunity to continue to be primary contributors I think somebody like Olivia Moultrie uh, is someone who's going to continue to to find her way onto the field uh, she to me you mentioned all the different players that have stood out during this stretch, she to me is the one that has truly shined and and taken advantage of her opportunity at 16 years old. You know, she we watched it throughout the season, and and I even saw it with my own eyes from the press box. Some level of frustration for her, uh, and and wanting to get more opportunities and having those type of discussions with uh, Karina LeBlanc and Rian Wilkinson, um, and Rian and Karina both admitted that publicly that they had had those conversations with her about what it would take for her to, to get those opportunities by a, a stroke of her own skill and hard work and mindset. She, she earned it and she was really excellent for the thorns throughout this entire stretch. Uh, Morgan Weaver is someone who I thought played well, but uh, maybe could have, shown a little bit more in, in this stretch. If, if there's any person that you would have liked to see a little more from, uh, she, she is a constant and aggressive presence, uh, in the attacking third, but, um, for whatever reason, for a long stretch, she, she couldn't find her goal. Boy, did she find it against Gotham where she instinctually ran up and, and intercepted a, a terrible one pass. touch, one yeah. touch counter press and, uh, and, and, and score. That's oh, not yeah. bad. That was gorgeous. I mean, that was so cool for and and for her, you just saw the relief on her face. Like God, yeah. finally! Like I I got this this goal and and got the monkey off her back there. Um, but overall, you know, there's very little in the way of um, 
negatives to take away from this stretch. I, I think that um, Rian Wilkinson being the competitive person that she is uh, talked a lot about wanting to have gotten two wins out of that stretch of two draws Agreed. and they had their opportunities for sure. <laughs> but come on, you know, you, you gotta, you gotta take what you can get um, at this point. And, and I, I respect very much her desire to, to get more out of it. Um, but, but I don't know if you could have gotten much more out of, um, out of this group. So major respect to her for the coaching job she has done this season. Um, everybody prior to this year really did think this was a transition year for the thorns. I mean, you talk yep. about media members, people within the club, um, you know, they, they were managing expectations for Rian and they were, they were giving her a longer leash in terms of her success and right away. Um, and now you're talking about the Thorns as pretty much the the best team in the league with On very minimal the debate. Leaders, right? Yeah, they're the Shield leaders by a significant margin in terms of uh, the points and the uh, amount of goals that they've scored this year just dwarfs everybody yeah. else in NWSL. Um, 29 goals for, uh, 10 goals allowed, uh, 19 plus 19 goal differential. Uh, is nuts. Which I was, I was doing the math, and it's like that's almost as much as every other positive goal difference team combined. Like I, yes. I think every other positive goal difference San team Diego's combined eight. is something like twenty plus twenty one or twenty two. Yeah, the San Diego's eight. Uh, Chicago's four. San Diego's eight. Uh, Houston six. Rainer two. Yeah, that's that's it's, twenty. So they are. They are one one goal differential away from all of the other positive goal differential teams in the league as themselves. I mean, that's that's nuts. So um, that that's just, a, a, to me, a sign that while the Wave are still up there right now and, and in terms of points, the um, the Thorns are at 21 and the, the Wave are at 22. Uh, I don't see the Wave staying up there much longer. And, and I think that despite how tightly packed these standings are and will continue to be in many respects in NWSL. Um, I think there's a real good chance that the thorns start to, to build a points advantage and, and pull away from teams like Chicago teams like uh, San Diego as, as this season continues to wind down. And even if they don't, even if it is tight um, being in that one, two or three spot, um, I like the thorns against those teams, even on the road. They've they've been great. Shown their metal. They've been great. You know, I I think I think it's fair to say at this point of the season, given where the thorns are, given the absences, given the transitions and and the growing quote unquote pains, uh, such as they've been, I think you'd have to say that the shield is theirs for the taking right now, um, and that if they continue on their trajectory, they're going to win the shield. Um, that's that's an extremely not hot take given that they are the shield leaders on the points per game. Oh, uh, there, I think there's still one point behind the, the wave in, in the standings, but the, the, the wave, uh, uh, I, I think the thorns have a game in hand or maybe even two games in hand, uh, on the waves, one game in hand. Uh, you, 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 you helpfully correct me. Um, but you know, I mean, that's, I like, so that's not a very hot take. If they continue on that trajectory, they will win the shield is, is a mathematically correct thing to say. Um, but you know, I, I think you're right that there are reasons to reasons to believe, uh, especially given their thorn, their their their. I almost said thorn, which is the thorns form, um, especially given their thorn. Uh, hashtag thorn, thorn trend <laughs> it. Terrible hashtag, awful hashtag. <laughs> um, but especially given their thorn uh, heading into this window. Uh, I th- I think you, there are very good reasons to think that that they could be a runaway train. Don't get me wrong; that doesn't mean it's definitely going to happen. That doesn't mean it's it's in the bag or 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 anything like that. Uh, that's not true. They've got a lot of work to do yet. They've got a lot of games against good teams to play. Uh, they've got some road games still to play, uh, and so they're going to have to you know they're going to have to play very very well uh, in order to to get the shield. Again, not a hot take. Um, but I think everything you've seen from this team to date suggests that they can do that. And maybe even that they're likely to do that. 
if they they keep their nose to the grindstone. Uh, I I agree with you completely on Moultrie. Actually, as I was on the aforementioned walk uh, this morning, uh, she is who I was kind of like, yeah, if I had to choose one, I, I would choose Moultrie. And, you know, that got me thinking. It's I think it's worth taking a step back because over the last couple of years, so much of the conversation about Moultrie has been procedural, right? It's been about whether she can sign, when she'll be able to sign, the legal proceedings around that, uh, and all of that stuff. And I do really feel like, and and look, you know, and that was, that focus was understandable, especially given her first few months in the league after she was signed. Um, she didn't come in and, and light the league on fire. You know, what, 15 years old at the time? I mean, give me a break. Uh, <laughs> as though that's an expectation. Oh, um, but she didn't come in and sort of light the league on fire or, or, or anything like that. Um, and she looked like somebody who was adjusting to, to you know, a, a much higher level than that at which she's played competitively before. She did score in WICC, though. She did. Yeah, yeah. Which yeah. Was, was a cool moment. And, you know, I mean, and, and you know, I, it's not that she looked poor or like she wasn't the prospect that everybody thought she would be. It was just a, a simple matter of, being a young player coming into a higher level of competition. That's just how it goes almost all the time. Um, I think because of all of that, the Olivia Moultrie hype train, I don't know if it didn't leave the station or if it just like they, they weren't putting as much coal on, on, on the burner as, as they, they would make it take off. But the Olivia Moultrie hype train should absolutely be just like chugging down the tracks. Are most right trains now. still coal powered? Look, man, I'm Is just it electric. To... I mean, what's like, come on, you know, think a little about the environment with your analogy here, bro. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Thank you. I'm just trying to lean into, you know, sort of a, a, a an old Westy metaphor here. Um, throw the coal on the fire of the Olivia Moultrie hype train, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, or, you know, if you prefer to have a climate friendlier, um, uh, you know, throw more sun on the solar array of the Olivia Moultrie hype train. <laughs> throw more sun. <laughs> there, that's that's great. I'm glad that you're more environmentally conscious now. Yeah, well, you know. Uh, but in any event, that hype train should be chugging along right now. Uh, we now have a 16 year old player for the thorns for the, the league's best team to date who is, I mean, not just playing as like sort of a luxury player. She's not playing primarily as a winger or something like that, where, where there's not a lot of pressure put on her. She's played as a second forward. She's played as a 10. She's played as an eight. She is being put in central roles literally. And, you know, I guess, somewhat metaphorically uh she has played central roles for the thorns and she's looked better and better and better every time and frankly she's looked more and more and more like a, a leader on the team every time uh to the point where i i don't think it's a huge stretch to say that she looked like she might be the best player on the field against gotham um and that's that is remarkable i mean that's the kind of thing frankly if this were happening in mls if MLS had, you know, and if an MLS team put a 16-year-old central midfielder uh, on the field and they uh, they bossed a game, um, and won and and you know bossed a game in which their team won a league game 5-0, that's all anybody would be talking about. And and so I think the Olivia Moultrie hype train. There have been, you know, there's been a lot of hype trains about other prospects signing with other teams uh, over the course of the last week. Uh, don't lose sight of this one because uh, it, it, it's chugging down the tracks. And, and if you're not paying attention, it might just run over you. Exactly. And um, How, did, did you think I landed that one well? Yes, I think that metaphor. Did. Yeah. I, you know what? You, you started out a little shaky, you know, with with your disrespect to the ozone layer. But <laughs> it's not uh, the ozone layer we're concerned about. But at this point, uh, I, I think you you did land. You landed the metaphor. It was it was good. <laughs> Thanks. Appreciate. Um, it. And and with respect to Moultrie, I, I think that her ascent lines up pretty well with uh, Christine Sinclair's twilight of her career. And this is somebody who, um, by the time she's 
18, 19 years old, um, will likely be stepping into to that void. Um, I, it's, it's hard to imagine um, Portland being able to uh, hang on to somebody like Morgan Weaver in the future, uh, just given that um, Sophia Smith is going to be such a mainstay up top, um, and, and there are so many others um, at, that are capable at that position, like Yasmin Ryan, who um, might be cheaper opportunities uh, for the team in terms of signings. Uh, Moultrie is someone who I could, I could see um, stepping in and, and filling that void as best she can. Um, what an incredible thing it is to, to have uh, a 16 year old player on your team and somebody like Christine Sinclair, who, who has played for so long and is such a legend of, of the game. Um, what a cool person I'm sure for, for Moultrie to learn from too. Um, and, and I think that Sinclair's presence, you know, we haven't had a chance to talk about her much um, this season because Sophia Smith um, has lit the world on fire. Just sucked up all the oxygen. I mean, every bit of it, oxygen. Yeah. If we other want to continue than, on our atmospheric metaphors. Yes. We're going to keep with the atmosphere stuff. <laughs> um, all the oxygen's gone to Smith and, and, um, Christine Sinclair, uh, is, is really continuing to do what she's always done and provided a level of veteran leadership for this team that you can see the results of, you know, we, we give credit where it's due to Rian Wilkinson and the coaching job she's done. Um, but if, if there was ever somebody on the field, who's kind of that co-head coach in, in many respects, it's, it's sync. And I, I think that Rian would acknowledge the level of leadership present there. I mean, um, when you talk when you talk to folks in the club, the level of respect with which they speak they speak about Christine Sinclair is in the same stratosphere as you know Diego Char, Diego Valeri. I mean that that is that is sort of the the level that that she occupies within the club in terms of the respect for her not only as a player but as a leader and as a person. Oh, and, and that's, you know, in some ways, in some ways, it's zooming out to the, to the broader sport that, that, that sells her short, uh, given her international accomplishments with which far outpace anybody else's who's ever set foot, uh, in, uh, in, in the club. Yeah. Or in MLS period. <laughs> I mean, that's like, you're talking about, a uh, uh, person who is um, among the handful of greatest players to ever play the game. Uh, for either side and and that's I, I think something that Thorns fans appreciate but um, it's hard when when you're in the moment to to truly grasp the, the gravity of having somebody like that on your team I mean that's like LeBron playing for the Blazers level of of legendary status and and I, I think that um doesn't LeBron already play for the Blazers, or at least the next LeBron and Jabari Walker? Yes, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> People forget that Jabari Walker's career is going to mirror that of LeBron James. We're talking 30,000 career points, uh, just billionaire status, the whole deal. Maybe. <laughs> but, but, that, that would play. I'd, I'd be down. Um, that'd be pretty cool. So, <laughs> um, but, but returning to, to sync, I, I think that, um, you know, we don't know how long she, she plans to continue to play. Um, I don't think this is her last season, but if it was, uh, what a last season it could potentially be if, if that were the case, right? Uh, this is a team that, uh, could very well send her out on a high note if this is indeed her last year. And I, I don't want to cast any, any predictions on, on her career. She very much seems like somebody who could play multiple more years, a Tom Brady type career. Um, but this is a, this is a great group to, for her to be a part of because you've got so many young, talented players that just absorb everything from her, like a sponge. And, and you bring Sophia Smith back, after this break, uh, who is someone who's going to, if not run away with NWSL MVP, she's sure going to fight, uh, Alex Morgan for it. Um, at least that's, that's what it's looking like is 
goal scoring forwards being the ones that um, are leading the way for that uh, that NWSL MVP spot. That's not always the case. There's been players at other positions over the years that have won it. Crystal Dunn back in the day uh, was somebody who who won it uh, early in her career, um, and and that made me think too. Crystal Dunn also on the road back. <laughs> uh, we don't have an exact timeline for when she's going to hit the field again, um, but she's been posting the, the workout videos to, to Twitter and Instagram and everywhere else. She's she's on the grind after uh, giving birth in May to Marcel, who is an absolutely adorable little baby. Uh, congrats to her and Pierre again. Obviously just a, an awesome uh, moment for, for their family and for the club. Um, things are really exciting with this group. Uh, I, I don't think that um, people around the sport fully realize how special teams like this are. Uh, last year's team was, was a great team, no doubt. Um, but there's something swirling around this group, some, some corner sort of special stuff like secret stuff, maybe like, like Michael's secret stuff from, uh, from space jam that everybody on the team's (laughs) drinking. And, uh, it's, it's something else to, to watch and to witness. I'll allow the space jam reference as the continuation of the atmospheric metaphor. And Um, partially our, our referencing to basketball as well. So it kind of really the, 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 we've, we've hit the center of the Venn diagram here uh, (laughs) for this podcast. Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, I, I, I think that's right. I, and, and look, I think there's, you know, there, there was a feeling last year when the thorns were running rushed out over the league in the regular season, um, that this was sort of a, a, a team at its peak. Um, uh, that's not the feeling this year. Uh, and, and, you know, I mean, this is a team that is growing and this is a team that has the potential to have a lot of these same core players for some time. Um, uh, and and the fact that they are where they are this early in their development curve is is mind-boggling uh and i think bodes very well for the future that said you know sports are littered with examples of of teams that looked really promising that never quite got to their ceiling um and that didn't it didn't end up doing what everybody thought was possible so the thorns still have a lot of work to do no question about it um but but as of right now, I, I agree with you entirely. Uh, you know, fat times uh, for for uh, Thorns fans in the Rose City here. No doubt. Uh, the Portland Timbers, let's jump into their... A little cloudier. Uh, yeah, a little, little less uh, certainty on that side. But I, I will say, second half of the season, they've been a whole heck of a lot better. And, um, you know, in the second half of, of this season... Both clubs, the Timbers and the Thorns combined, are undefeated uh, since that uh, that international break for the Timbers. That's pretty sweet. That's 14 total matches between the two teams undefeated. Um, no losses. Not bad. No losses. That's pretty sweet. Not, not no uh no unhappy post game press conferences for me. No grumpy, you know, players or coaches. This is last week. A little grumpy press conference. A little grumpy attitude towards the officials. Yes, from Gio. Um, But it's pretty, pretty warranted for the also a little grumpy toward the the team's play in the first half. Mm, Yes, as he should be. Uh, And and that's a good transition, too, because that was what I was going to really lead with on this Timbers discussion is that first half. (laughs) It was like a real ugly regression to, to what has um, to what things looked like in the first half of the season. Uh, not having um, Seba is going to be rough for this coming game, um, and, and so they might continue to, to have those type of issues. But he was out there for that first half, and frankly, he didn't play very well. Soft yellow uh, card for dissent, by the way. I mean, I don't soft. know what he, what he said. I don't know the substance. <laughs> Maybe the substance uh, deserved it. Well, but like... The substance of what he said was probably an accumulation uh, of things throughout the game because he was jawing at the refs the whole game, and then finally the the turf slapping and the the screaming and yelling at at the uh, would be penalty. Uh, if we're given to send yellow cards for turf slaps, goodness gracious, here we go. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you and Geo share that uh, that uh, mindset about that for sure. 
Yeah, I, um, I I actually thought Geo used exactly the right word in in uh, criticizing the referee's performance. I thought it was a pretty immature. Um, it, performance yeah, he he, he it let was, uh, he let Blanco's reaction become a personal thing, and and yeah. I, I and 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 the calls yeah. were inconsistent. I, you know, there was nothing super egregious except for the offside flag on on what should have been a goal for Yaroslav Nizhgoda. He he sort of botched the finish. But an offside flag that was just like so insanely wrong <laughs> because it came off of it came off of a very intentional, very clear play from a Whitecaps defender uh, that like uh, that that was a bit baffling. But but you know, I, I thought overall an immature refereeing performance. But I I agree, you know, nothing sort of game changingly bad. No, and and you know to to blame the refs for a result like that and for especially the first half like that would be inaccurate in my opinion. I I think that, you know, it's, it's important to hold MLS officiating accountable and make sure that it's, it's at the very least consistent. It doesn't have to be good, but as long as it's consistent, then at least you know what to expect as a team. Um, The Timbers have experienced all manner of ranges of, of those issues this year with, with the officiating and everybody always, across the league seems to have some level of problem with it. Um, but, but that's not the reason why the, the Timbers were down one zero at the half. It no. was poor attacking play, lack of finishing, lack of focus, uh, poor connecting play, uh, and a boneheaded defensive moment that had shades of, of some of the goals allowed in the first half of the season where everybody just kind of fell asleep and Vancouver got themselves a header and were up one zip at the half. Then you get to the second half, you fight back. Felipe Mora saves your butt, and you get a draw out of it. It's it's really um, it was a great moment for Felipe. I, I think that um, he hadn't really contributed much uh, up to that point, uh, and Nia's Goda has played so well lately that he hadn't really had much of an opportunity to do so. Um, but great moment for Felipe to draw that uh, penalty and then finish and it a off nice the way he did. In the run up to it. Yes, absolutely. I, I, it, was, it was a nice team move to get to that spot. It was, it was, you know, it was not a fluky penalty. It was a a well deserved, well earned, uh, you know, uh, penalty. Insofar as the Timbers did really well to get themselves in a really promising attacking spot, they sort of they sort of sliced the 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 Whitecaps open, uh, and I mean that's that's kind of what they had to. I mean, they, they the Whitecaps were just in a position where they had to dive in uh, if they wanted to snuff out the chance. Oh, uh, and so, you know, I, I, I agree. It was much better in the second half in terms of their, their patience and their willingness to try to build through what was a pretty low block from the Whitecaps, especially after Vancouver uh, got that opener, which I, I thought, you know, I didn't think the Timbers were sharp in the first half hour. When the Whitecaps got that opener, though, I thought that really sort of solidified the game in terms of how it was going to play out because Vancouver dropped their line really deep and they looked primarily then just to, to, to counter from a really, really deep position. Um, it created some opportunities from it. Aljazivicic, uh, cleaned up, uh, a couple of moments that, that could have been bad. Um, thereafter, uh, Ivicic, who, uh, I think has been, uh, a bet that has paid off. Uh, it was a big bet. It was a bet that I was really skeptical about uh, that the Timbers made in the offseason on him. Uh, and and to date, that has come very, very good. Uh, and I think he was very, very good in terms of his shot stopping again in this game. Uh, also a but, really cool guy, like really funny. And and, and his personality is, is somebody that I think that Timbers fans are, are going to get to know more uh, in, in the coming years. Uh, dry humor, genuinely funny observations, just a cool dude. In addition to being somebody who I think has stepped into that role and for the most part shined this year. I think he's been great. Is the beef with Steve Clark real? I, I still I can't tell little... if it's real or if like these guys have a bit going on. Oh no, they don't. I don't think it's a bit. I think there's a little, uh, little tension there. And, okay. um, it's, I think it's, it's more, Clark kind of trying to assert his superiority over him, kind of like a sloughing him off, like, oh, I don't care about um, about you. But then Ivicic comes back with the I don't think about him at all quote a few That's weeks a ago, Don really Draper style, which was phenomenal. Um, but but it'd be interesting if, if Portland ever ended up matched up with Houston in a, in a playoff game, um, if that type of tension might ramp up. 
So yeah, storylines, but storylines, narratives e- e- as they were, narratives as they were. Uh, Eva Chich is is a great character though. Uh, somebody who doesn't really get as much credit as he might deserve for for how well he's played this season and, and kind of flies under the radar as everybody focuses on the other areas that Portland very much has issues. Um, You know, one of the things that stood out to me primarily about this game uh, was just how badly the Timbers missed Eric Williamson. I I think that no game was that more apparent than against Vancouver uh, where the connecting play for Portland was severely missing him. And, and, um, I think it goes to show that, that Eric is, is really coming into his own as the most important player on this team, uh, for his play in that area. Uh, Yimmy Chara has, has struggled really lately. Um, and, and him trying to play a similar role like that, um, results in moments of overthinking and, um, you know, Just being dri- slow. dribbling into a crowd, being sloppy, yeah, slow to make decisions. Uh, slow on decisions. Slow to develop those moments. Yeah, Saba has. Saba will try to force it in those situations too, without Eric there to connect everything. Uh, Saba will, will try to put a difficult ball into Niasgoda, and Niasgoda can't catch up to it, or um, he's not ready for it, or whatever. Um, and and Christian Paredes, well, he he's been pretty good in, in spots for the Timbers this season. Different player. Yeah, and, and, I mean he he's yeah. not nearly the he's not an eight that ranges to a ten, uh, like Williamson. He's not the playmaker that Williamson is. Uh, he's more of a true eight, where he's going to be a two way player. He's going to connect and he's going to be a late runner into the box sometimes. Uh, but he's not the playmaker nearly that that Williamson is. I agree with you. Uh, I the, in that that you know Williamson's importance was was on display in this game. And the biggest thing was you know in that three five two that the that the Whitecaps were using. Depending on how the Whitecaps defend, whether they flatten out the three into a five uh, or they, they keep the three, and they did both uh, throughout the game. They flattened it out more as the game went on. Um, but the space is either going to be behind or in front of the wingbacks, right? That's going to be just where the space is to play in those wide areas, just sort of inherently in the formation. And in the first half, the Timbers uh, played into that space a lot. But what they did with it when they got there was was – sort of the the problem. Uh, very often they played into that space, usually through Seba, sometimes through Santi. Um, and then they would settle for, you know, sort of a deep cross, kind of a hopeful ball into the box. That's where you see the difference between what happens when Eric Williamson's in the game versus this, right? Uh, you know, I mean, ideally what you want to do is you don't want to just become predictable like the Timbers were, and I think Gio used exactly that word, Um in the way you in the way you attack uh, this sort of low block three five two or five three two, you want to have the ability to use that space to break the the other side open to open up the middle of the field to open up switches, um, and they just didn't do that nearly enough through about the first hour or so uh, of the game. I thought when the Timbers went to a two front, I am re- get, don't get me wrong, I'm really skeptical of the Timbers as a two front with Nishgoda and Mora long-term. I don't think it's a great match. I don't think it's a, a great, I think they're both true nines and I think very few teams save really the Whitecaps in this game, but they didn't, it's not like those two guys were, were playing together, but I think very few teams play well consistently with two true nines in, in the lineup. That's yeah. it. I thought it worked pretty darn well uh, yeah. with uh, in, in this instance, because I, I, I think it sort of pinned in the Whitecaps back line a little bit more. And because they were able to pin him in a little bit more, I, I, I think it, and they couldn't be quite as aggressive um, in clogging up the middle and clogging up sort of the channels. Uh, I, I thought it created, it, it loosened things up for the Timbers a bit uh, that as the Timbers started throwing the kitchen sink at the Whitecaps uh, started to show more cracks than had been in, in, in the first half of the game. So um so, you know, uh, I, I think you, you did see, I agree with you, you did see where Williamson was missing because he would be the type who, when Seba received the ball in space out wide, would be demanding the ball back at his feet uh, coming back into the, into the center to try to play through that instead of just sort of lumping one and hoping. Oh, uh, so I think you saw the deficiency there. 
But I also think they figured that out a little bit uh, and figured out a way at least to 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 get some of that cent- uh, central buildup uh, going as the game went along. So credit to them for sort of solving that tactical problem, uh, even if uh, it it led to some pretty rocky moments through the first hour or so. For sure, and and I think that it was a pretty tactically savvy uh, bit of decision making from Gio Savarese. Uh, it, it, there were surprising moves and and just kind of head scratchers in the moment, but then um, when they get the goal, you realize, oh, this is why they did that. And you know, Gio, being the soccer nerd that he is, um, went into full detail about that. Uh, post game, people can watch the the post game press conference to to get more of a um, soccer nerd's explanation of it. Um, I mean, Gio's a guy that you know when he's not coaching, um, he is plopped on the couch. When he's not coaching or gardening, he's on the couch watching soccer. So he he is true blue tactical nerd, uh, and and. Um, those moves I think reflect that and reflect his willingness to, to tinker with stuff and make those type of in-game adjustments that, uh, that have really allowed his team to get back in games that they uh, might not otherwise have been able to get back into. And did it earlier this time than usual Uh, that they made that move uh, probably between the 75th and 77th minute, just going from memory, Um, which is, I mean, we've seen the Timbers throw the kitchen sink before like that. Uh, but it's usually something that they do in the 85th minute or after, and they just try to try to give it a few minutes of a run. Here, he gave it a pretty credible run uh, in terms of this is how we're going to play. This is, you know, we're down 1-0. This is how we're going to play uh, for the last 15, 20 minutes plus st- with stoppage time uh, of the game. And let's see if the, the Whitecaps could match up. You know, and the answer by and large was they couldn't. Um, and that's how the Timbers got a point back and looked maybe like they could go uh, make a push to, to go get all three. That said, overall, um, it's a disappointing result. Uh, and and it's, it's, you know, not the end of the world. It doesn't bring their better run of form to an end by any means. That, that still is, is ongoing, as you noted, with the Timbers and Thorns playing 14 straight without a loss. Um, but, you know, I mean, look, the, the, the Whitecaps probably aren't a playoff team. They've been playing a little bit better recently, and they've been playing in particular better well, with Andres Kubas in the game, uh, as he was in this game, uh, and he was fully rested because he didn't play midweek because of a niggling injury. Uh, but, you know, I mean, the Whitecaps are probably not a, a playoff team. And and home games against non-playoff teams, uh, given where the Timbers are, you know, you expect those to be three points regularly. And they didn't get that done, uh, which – is is a bummer, but they've got another shot at it uh, <laughs> against San Jose this week in, in sort of similar circumstances. It's a non-playoff team that's playing better recently. Since Matias Almeida left, they've been playing pretty solid, you know, about 1.5 point per game soccer. Um, Jeremy Abobasi revenge game. Uh, that's that's the concern. That's what you're worried about. Um, <laughs> uh, and it may be a Jeremy Abobasi revenge game, but as we've discussed, Bobasi will not call it that in the media. He might call no. it that privately, but he will not call it that in the media because he is a classy gentleman. Yes, um, he is. But, uh, but you know, it, it's, uh, you know, it's another sort of opportunity like that. And it's a game where the Timbers should be feeling some pressure. Uh, they're in a playoff race. Uh, and, and if they're not getting results like this, it's going to be hard for them to come out on top of that race uh, or at least to come out on the good side of it. Uh, and so, you know, they should be feeling some pressure now heading into this next weekend against San Jose. I agree. I think that that, uh, that one you, you may qualify as a must win only because um, you want to maintain the momentum that you've built out of this break. And I don't really think that a draw, while it keeps you undefeated, uh, is going to be something that does that. I, I think that this is a, a game against a team that uh, on paper – if you want to be a playoff team, you've got to think you're better than and that you can beat in your home stadium. Um, it's an important one, too, because the game you've got after that a week later is on the road in Minnesota, afternoon uh, local time, uh, 3 p.m. Eastern. Uh, big national TV game on ABC. Um, that has the makings of a really tough one for the Timbers. Uh, the the Loons have been on fire um, as of late. And, and yeah. um you, you got to always look out for them um, at home. Pasted Everton last night in a game that was 
you know, enormously important. Yes. And I'm not um, being serious, just FYI. Yes. Oh, I know. <laughs> it was such a such a crucial matchup for the uh, for the uh, the Everton side there to to come in guns blazing and just get crushed. Um, so uh, the the games after that, though, after Minnesota, um, are going to be tougher too. You know, you've got two home games, but they're against Nashville and Dallas, two teams who you are grappling with for potential playoff spots who um, when it all shakes out are going to be in a similar position probably to the Timbers where um, they're they're fighting for three through seven. The next three games after San Jose are against four, five, and six in the standings. I mean, that's that's the race. <laughs> that's yep. that's who the Timbers are fighting right now. Yeah, that's everybody. Uh, th- those are those are the teams you're going to have to beat if if you want to secure yourself a playoff spot. Uh, because right now it's LAFC and Austin and then everybody else. Everybody else. You know, and just generally speaking, the Timbers have got to do a better job at home. 4-2-4 and four at home is is pretty bad for this team. Uh, when the Timbers have been good, they've been very good at home. Uh, and they haven't been this year. Uh, they dropped more points at home uh, last week. Uh, and even though in the in the sort of last home stretch, they, they did get full points, uh, they they need to be more consistently uh, bringing in points at Providence Park because, you know, I mean, just road games are hard to win. Uh, again, not a hot take. Uh, road games are hard to win. And if you're relying on getting a bunch of points in road games down the stretch, you're, you're in a bad way. Uh, and, and the only way not to be relying on that is to get points at home. Uh, and so that's just it. And, and that's where the Timbers are. Let's talk about somebody who may factor into the Timbers' future, and that is uh, the youngster, uh, 19-year-old Juan David Mosquera, who uh, Gio Savarese, in an interview in Spanish yesterday uh, after training, confirmed that the team was going to sign him, uh, barring uh, the last few details of the contract being worked out, his physical, everything else. Uh, But all indications, uh, despite the lack of word from the Timbers' front office, are that they are uh, moving forward with uh, Mosquera as their right back signing uh, for this transfer window. Uh, Gio mentioned that they're not going to pursue anybody else in terms of international signings in this period. Uh, So this is, this is going to be what the Timbers are going to get out of this, this stretch. Somebody who um, not really a plug and play guy, not somebody who you expect to, to make an immediate contribution uh, he'll he'll be added to the depth of the position. I think that he can very easily uh, muscle out somebody like Pablo Bonilla uh, and be the guy behind Van Rankin. But hey, if you're the guy behind Van Rankin, every few games you're going to get in there and start because he's freaking <laughs> suspended for a yellow card. So <laughs> that's that's not a bad position to be in. But uh, Mosquera is 19 years old uh, from Cali, Colombia. Uh, adds to a, a group of guys from Columbia that are that are on this Timbers team um, if the thorns are the uh, the Canada thorns then the Timbers are the Columbia Timbers at this point uh, with <laughs> it with goes back and forth Mascara. between Colombia and Argentina right yes Colombia and Argentina with the, the big influences on, on this squad uh, Mosquera plays for Independiente Medellin uh, in Colombia right now uh, and and they're working out the the details but reported cost of maybe one and a half two million when it's all said and done uh to bring him in depth piece future piece somebody who um if you can keep him around in mls uh, might be somebody that turns out like a uh, santiago moreno who developed from a young um backup type player into someone who's blossoming into a, a key contributor but just yeah. yeah yeah just as a rule you know, MLS fans, Timbers fans should not expect these young money signings to be immediate impact. I think the best young money signing we've seen so far, I think he's a young money signing. He might now be a young DP. Um, but the best signing of that type that we've seen so far is Talis Magno at NYCFC, who has been crushing this year. He's been phenomenal. Uh, we saw him last year in, in the MLS Cup final. Uh, he didn't have a great first year. And he didn't have a great sort of first stretch with NYCFC. And, and I mean, that's that's going to be the rule. That when you hit on these signings, it's, it's not likely going to be sort of an immediate impact kind of player. And so I don't expect, you know, Mosquera is a Colombian youth international, as you said, a couple million dollar 
uh, signing, which is a decent amount of money for a guy who at 19 years old is a right back. Um, and, uh, and so I think there are reasons to be excited about him. I think there are reasons to be intrigued, uh, by how the fit is going to be and, and how he's going to develop in Portland. Um, but if your reason for why you're excited is he's going to come in and dominate in August of 2022, you're setting yourself up for disappointment. Um, and, and I, I think, you know, that's, that's probably more true than not for the rest of this year. Uh, and so I, I still think as we've discussed a number of times that right back is the biggest area of weakness, uh, on, on the team, uh, especially now that Mora has returned, uh, and, and Nishgoda has been a little bit better form, uh, up top, uh, right back. I think now is, is certainly indisputably the biggest area of weakness on the team. Um, and while I think the signing you know, may well be an exciting one and a positive one for the future. I'm, I'm a little bit skeptical, uh, about its ability to, to fix the immediate problem. That said, you know, Von Rankin's been a little bit better, uh, in the last, you know, month or six weeks than he was before that. Not a high bar to be clear. Uh, and there have still been some warts even, (laughs) even during this period, really rough, uh, patch, especially in the first half, uh, against Seattle. Oh, yeah, and that yellow card. But in which Vancouver you probably should have given up a penalty. Was rough. Yeah. Yeah. Uh yeah. I mean, not great. I I wouldn't say terrible. Uh, you know, the the, the concession I think comes from a couple places for which, you know, it's not like this was just a, a a selfie on the right side of the Timbers defense. A little bit of lack of communication on the left side too to track Brian White. Probably need to do that. That's the one thing he does. Um but you know, I I, I think uh, there, there. So, so you know, I, 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 I don't think it was a terrible performance from, uh, from Von Ranke in this last one. But look, I mean, it, it, it's the biggest area of weakness. Um, and uh, from a 2022 perspective, uh, this signing probably doesn't move the needle all that much, or at least you, you shouldn't expect this signing to move the needle all that much. Maybe he blows away expectations and comes in and does great. Who knows? Who's to say? Um. But, uh, but you know, uh, I, I think the, the, the counterpoint to that uh, and what Gavin Wilkinson and Urgio Savarese would probably say uh, if they were here is this isn't just a signing for 2022. <laughs> and so, you know, whether it moves the needle or not this year is not really what we're, what we're after with this, with this move. Yeah. And, and I'm interested to see how they bring him into the fold as far as what next year looks like too, because uh, Van Rankin signed through the rest of, of this year uh, it is um, there's an option for, for them to make it a permanent transfer at the end of the year. Um, that is an interesting choice because do you want to bring a guy like that back or do you just go full uh, feet to the fire, throw Miss Mosquera in there as the starter next year and see what happens? Um, that's, I think that's, that depends highly on what he contributes for you this year. If, if he shows 100%. flashes of um, somebody that, that can eclipse uh, Van Rankin immediately. Um, and, you know, again, not a high bar with how poorly uh, he's played this year. But um, it, it, that's that's going to be the, the determining factor. Uh, when, when he joins the team, uh, we'll see. Um, but it's going to be during an important stretch and it's going to be in, in one where, um, you know, if trends continue, uh, the opportunities will arise for him here and there because, uh, inevitably there's going to be some cards, some, um, some situations that are going to allow him to, to jump in there. Uh, if Bonilla is, is pushed out of the way by this, which I, I think that if you're spending money think, on a guy, yeah. you, 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 would hope that he would be in in that type of position. I think so. as it stands, it's very clear that, that Pablo Bonilla is not a huge factor in this conversation. Uh, and look, I mean, given his play early in the season, it, it was hard to keep him on the field. I think it's easy to understand uh, why that is. Uh, but yeah, I, I agree with you. I, I just think there's a good chance that, that a lot of that showing that Mosquera has to make in order to sort of earn pole position for the starting spot uh, next year is likely to be made in training. Uh, I think there's a good chance that that you know the actual uh, sort of starting playing time uh, that we'll see is pretty limited, uh, and and if it's not, if he is starting a lot, that may not be the best thing. <laughs> um, that may not necessarily be uh, be indicative of of good things. So we'll see. Uh, it's an interesting signing. 
but it's one that that I don't think we'll be able to meaningfully assess uh, in all likelihood until sometime down the road. Yeah, and I think that the pace at which this is moving to uh, Timbers fans might not see him on the field uh, for another month. You know, it it just it depends on uh, visa paperwork, uh, travel up to the United States. Uh, getting the deal actually over the line, which it technically is not yet, uh, at least as, as far as I know. Um, so it, the next month will be interesting getting him integrated into the squad. Um, but he's somebody who uh, could be a really key piece for the future if he develops the way they think they that he will. Um, but he sort of has semi-immediate expectations uh, lofted on him as well, which should be interesting. And that will wrap it up for us here on Soccer Made in Portland. Uh, For Chris Reifer, I'm Ryan Clark. Thank you for joining us. Be sure to subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. Leave a rating, uh, even if we help you with your insomnia, as one person uh, so eloquently put in their rating, uh, Business Dude. Shout out to Business Dude. Uh, Hey, Business Dude. Always always nice to have you along. Uh, I hope you were listening today because I think today was a lot more exciting. An episode also, if you're still if you're still awake others. at this point, like we're sorry, we tried. Yeah, we tried, man. We're we're trying to help you with this very serious issue of insomnia. I'm somebody who's dealt with it, um, so I I totally feel you. But no matter how you feel, leave us a rating. Tell us how we're doing. Uh, connect with us on Twitter at Soccer Maiden PDX, and uh, connect with us on our individual accounts as well, which are both tagged there. Uh, Thanks for joining us today and appreciate y'all listening.